Welcome to Walk in the Truth podcast. How do we know where to find answers to the toughest questions in life? While the simplest answer is the Bible, where do we start this search and how do we discover this truth? Today, in this teaching podcast, John Metter, lead pastor of Cross City Church, takes a specific text of the Bible and helps us find truth for the life we're searching for. If you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to talk about serving. And please pick them up and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 today. 1 Peter chapter 4. You know, a few weeks ago, we began talking to you about four practices that would change everything in your life. And I always felt like that was maybe a little bit ambitious in terms of a title or a subtitle. Four things that would change everything in your life. I have people that come to me and say this kind of title about a restaurant. If you eat there, it will change everything about your life. And when I go, I'll find out that they've overpromised and underdelivered sometimes. <laughs> but I'm not going to do that with you because these four practices that we're talking about do change everything about your life. The first week we focused on worship and the importance of knowing God intimately through worshiping Him. The second week, we talked about connecting with others and the fact that we're not designed to be alone. We're designed to be with other people and, and the reason for that. And then we're looking at this week at serving others, serving others. And we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 4. Would you stand with me as we read God's Word together today? 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Peter has written to a group of people that are facing persecution in their days ahead. They're not suffering physically yet, but they're definitely being maligned by a culture that didn't value the gospel of Jesus Christ or the values that he espouses. They didn't appreciate the church. They didn't understand why these people were following Jesus so wholeheartedly and why they were living the way they were. And so they're in a place where they have a lot of persecution, and Peter's encouraging them to keep serving no matter what. And here's what we read beginning in verse 7. He said, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. And then in verse 10, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, show us the truth of this text to each heart, to each mind. Let us be able to walk out of here knowing how to serve well in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I love this text. And I love where it's directing us. But when you first read this text, you see the word serve. Whoever's been gifted by God to serve, then employ it, that gift in serving one another. And we miss some of the important details about how to be a servant of God, to bring glory and honor to him. So here's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to challenge you with this statement. I want to challenge you by saying a commitment to consistently serve God by serving others will fulfill your life's greatest meaning and purpose. I really believe that. Now, I know that people 
find lots of meaning and lots of purpose in all kinds of things. I realize that people feel pretty fulfilled with certain possessions or certain things that they have in their life, certain people that are around them. They sometimes feel like they have fulfilled a certain goal that they have by accomplishing something in business or sports or something else. Many of us would feel fulfilled if the Cowboys would ever win a Super Bowl, you know, which they won't anytime soon. But I'm talking about a whole different level of fulfillment, a whole different level of purpose. It's purpose and fulfillment that one day lets you stand before God and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And I want you to be prepared for that. Peter wanted his people to be prepared for that. And part of the meaning and purpose that God has for you is that God is working in your life so much that you will rub off on the other people in this culture. Rub off in terms of the things of truth, the things of the spirit, the things of love. God wants you to rub off with other people and that's done best by serving. Now, if you look at this passage in its length, then you see a bookend. You see something that precedes everything he says about serving and something that follows everything that he says about serving. And these are both very important. The first thing he says is, the end of all things is near. Now, you may be one of those people that say, well, the Bible says that all the time, that Jesus is coming back soon. The end of all things is near, and yet he's not back yet. And yet everywhere you read in the Scripture, no matter who is writing it, the perspective is you be watching because someday he'll come back sooner than you expect. Jesus said that. He said, I'm coming back. No man knows the day or the hour, but I'm coming back. Paul writes that in, in Romans, the book of Romans. It says, live as though Christ is coming back quickly. The book of Philippians, he says, the end of all things is near. Peter, writing in this letter, says, the end of all things is near. Be ready for Christ to return. Live with that kind of perspective because even though we don't know when he will return, he may return for you soon. You may not have as long as you think on this planet. Live realizing that you don't have forever to serve the Lord well. Then the last part of that bookend, the other side, the opposite side of the beginning there where he says the end of all things is near is so that in all things, this is verse 11, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Before he talks about serving, before he talks about heart, he says, live with a perspective, an eternal perspective that says, I don't know how long I have, but I'm going to be faithful to the end. I then live in such a way so that at the end of all you say and do, Jesus Christ might be glorified through what you do, through what you say, through how you serve. So live as though God has given you a certain amount of time and you don't know how long and live in such a way that brings glory and honor to God. Amen. All right. Now, the meat of this text tells us how to do that. And I want you to see three things that Paul says. Two of them, again, are prerequisites to being able to serve well. And you're going to be surprised that, Paul, that Peter says these things first before he actually gets to the passage or the part that says, with all the gifts you've been given, employ them in serving the Lord. So what does he say comes first? The first thing he says that happens for you to serve well is to learn to be focused in your prayer. Focused prayer starts everything. Do you notice what it says in verse 7? Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Now, sometimes we don't think about prayer as being a prerequisite for much at all, but it really is a prerequisite for living for God well. He says, be of sound mind. And sober spirit for the purpose 
of prayer. If I'm going to serve others well, then I need to have my mind on the right things. And I need to have my prayer life in the right order. How I pray, what I ask God for, is what I look for in life. And so often sometimes we pray for things that are just for us, just because we want something, just because we think we ought to be blessed a little bit more or a little bit bigger in some way. And so Peter's giving his really sharp words to say something like this. Sound judgment, by the word, means sane, not insane. And sober spirit means not intoxicated by everything around us. So basically, Peter is saying, when you pray, pray in a sane manner, not intoxicated by the culture that's around you. Well, that's a, that's a different take on prayer. That makes me evaluate my prayer life a little bit more. In a world where the culture says, life is about you, your prayer life shouldn't reflect that. It should reflect that life is about God and about how you will serve him and how he will use you. That's a big deal. You know, I read a book uh, a number of years ago by a man named Donald Miller. In fact, the title itself grabbed me. It was called Blue Like Jazz. I don't read every book I come across or see, but uh, Blue Like Jazz captured my imagination. I thought, what could possibly this book be about? And it was about... Uh, a non-spiritual view of Christianity. Before he came to Christ, he had written a number of things down. And one of those things that he wrote down and included in his book was this statement that, that shocked me when I read it, but also opened my eyes to some things in my own life. Here's what he said. He said, the most difficult lie I have ever contended with is this. Life is a story about me. Life is a story about me. In his book, Blue Like Jazz, he goes on and describes a movie where you're watching on the screen the movie unfold, and you in your mind's eye have you as the central character. You're the star of the show. And Donald Miller said, I came to realize that life is not about me, that I'm not the star of that movie or star of that show. And when I began to realize that, I realized there was a whole bigger world that God has placed me in and a bigger purpose for, for living and for serving. And I believe that's true. I also believe that when we consider ourselves to be sane in the way of prayer and sober-minded and focused so as not to be like the culture that we live in, we'll pray in a much more selfless way. We'll pray less for us and more for God to work in people's lives around us. I don't know how you record your prayers, if you record your prayers, but I, I record mine with bullet points. I write down things that I'm praying about, and I know all the words that are behind the bullet points, so I simply write the bullet point down, and, and uh, as I continue on in prayer day after day, I may look back at a certain thing I've been praying for, and I may conclude, because God has not answered it or because God has changed my perspective about that request, I need to delete that prayer request. And so I just mark it off and take it off because that prayer request was either so selfish or so centered around me that God wasn't going to answer that prayer. He brought me to the place of saying, don't pray about that anymore. That might be insane. Instead, pray in a sober-minded way, like Peter is talking about. Be focused in such a way where you're praying for something that God really wants to accomplish in your life instead of just what you're asking for. I wrote this sentence down last week because it means so much to me in, in light of what we're talking about. Since what we ask for is what we look for, be sane and sober about what you ask God for. Since what we ask for is what we look for, 
Be sane and sober. Otherwise, you're going to be looking for things that God has no intention of fulfilling in your life. You're wasting your prayer time. You're wasting your dreams in many ways. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't bless us in extraordinary ways. Looking back in life, I can't think of one thing to complain about in my life. God has provided above and beyond and purpose and meaning and everything I can possibly need. I look back and say, God, I have no disappointments. But if I based my feeling on all the things I've prayed about during the year, I would have to say there's some things that I just didn't get that I asked for, and that was for the best. Be sane, be sober, be focused on what you're asking God for. Ask God to glorify himself through your lives. Now, let me just say this ultimately. Serving is something people do who know that life is not about convenience and it's not about pleasure. It's about something much higher. And that is serving is about bringing honor and bringing glory to God, his purpose and his plan for our lives. So be focused in prayer. The second prerequisite before we even get to serving is equally important, and that's what I call forgiving love. Forgiving love. Notice what it says in verse 8 and 9. Peter says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. And the word fervent means stressed out and intense. Now, the, the word for love here is the agape word. It means unconditional love. And, and Peter's saying, in this unconditional love that you are to be expressing to other people, let it be stretched out as far as it has to be in order to reach those people with the love that God has loved you with. Yeah. Now, by the way, sometimes people read a verse like this and they say, with a little bit of confusion in their life, so if I love someone well enough, does that mean it covers a multitude of my sin? I mean, the world thinks that today. I think if you're kind enough, if you're loving enough, if you're accepting enough, if you're tolerant enough, then that's good enough for God, no matter what else you do in your life. But that's not what the gospel says. The gospel, the good news of Jesus that you find all the way through the pages of the New Testament and the Old Testament looking ahead to it, the New Testament fulfilling it is, you could never do enough. You could never love enough. You could never be good enough, sincere enough, religious enough. You could never avoid the bad things enough for you to be justified in God's eyes. It took Jesus Christ dying on the cross, and his blood covers all of our sins in the sense of forgiveness. You're not saved because you love people well. You're saved because Jesus loved you well. You're saved because he loved you enough to die on the cross, and that's really important to point out in a world that doesn't see it quite like that. So what's Peter saying? What's Peter saying if he says love covers all transgressions or all sin, a multitude of sin? What is he actually saying? Well, basically, he's saying that we're to love one another in spite of their sin. We're to love one another in spite of their sin. Someone has said this, that this verse says, love covers the sins of others, but hatred uses the sins of others to attack them. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. Now, love doesn't cleanse sin, but it doesn't go around talking about sin either. That's why gossip and slander are so odious in the eyes of God. You can never serve God with the right spirit when you're always harping about somebody else, always blaming somebody else, pointing out someone else's fault, or in some ways not forgiving others. Instead, we're to have forgiving love. 
Listen, when you have forgiving love, when you love the way Christ has loved you, when you forgive the way Christ has forgiven you, you are, you are primed for serving other people like Christ served us. So it's important for us to have forgiving love in our lives. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 is one of those great passages where Peter, the author of this letter as well, has an encounter with Jesus, and everybody knows about this story. Peter goes to Jesus, and he asks this question, this big question about forgiveness. Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Now, you got to keep in mind, this is the pre-filled with the Spirit, Peter, right? This is Peter when he was still putting his foot in his mouth. Peter when he was still uh, anxious and panicky. He was still violent in so many ways. Uh, This is the Peter that Jesus rebuked and said, get thee behind me, Satan. This is Peter raw and unplugged before he really was filled with the Holy Spirit and became the Peter that we know of today who wrote 1 Peter and 2 Peter. So he's asking Jesus, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Now, if you know the mindset of the Peter before he was filled with the Spirit, you would know that Peter is saying, I've forgiven this brother enough. Don't you think so? <laughs> I mean, I've forgiven him seven times, and I think I've had it with him. I'm tired of him being around. I'm just going to take care of him. Jesus, can I do that? Jesus, can I do that? Now, it's sad to say that many of us have the same kind of perspective of people in our lives that have offended us over and over and over. Jesus, could I take care of them? Now, maybe we may first be spiritual enough to say, Jesus, will you take care of him? And then when Jesus doesn't do it, we ask for permission that we can take care of him. How many times should I forgive? And Jesus said, no, not seven times, not up to seven, but seven times 70. And then Jesus tells one of the most riveting stories in the whole New Testament. A certain king, he said, had servants who owed him money. And he called them to account. And one came in who owed him 10,000 talents. So much, it would be virtually impossible for him to ever repay. And he said, I can't repay you. And the king said, then I'll sell you and your, your family into servitude until this debt is paid. But the servant fell on his face and said, have mercy on me, king. O king, O Lord, have mercy on me because I can't pay this. And the king had mercy on him and forgave him what he owed. Now that same man that had been forgiven went off to someone that owed him money and said, pay me now or I'll sell your family into prison, into servitude to pay back my debt. And the king found out about it and said, oh, you wicked slave, you wicked servant, You were forgiven of so many things. I had mercy on you. Why did you not have mercy on the one who owes you? And in the story, Jesus said, you'll be turned over to tormentors until such time as you understand. That's a strong story from the lips of Jesus Christ to emphatically say to Peter, Peter, you better learn to forgive. It's going to be around for a while. And people who offend you will be around for a while. And if you're ever going to serve anybody else, you've got to have forgiving love. You've got to have it. Amen? You've got to have it. If you've ever been on the other end of that forgiveness, you'll realize how precious, how powerful it really, really is. Now, in the context of 1 Peter, when we're hurt or we're wronged, when we're misunderstood, when we're maligned, when our, when our faith is mocked, when our Lord is mocked in some ways, we, we practice servitude by forgiving as we've been forgiven. 
Otherwise, there's no hospitality, which is in the next verse. There's no serving, which is on the following verses. You don't serve until you forgive. Right. Now, we're in this really interesting age of the church today. And uh, it's, it's really kind of hard to describe what age we're in. But it's, it's an age where so many people are so hurt by somebody in the church that they reject the church as a whole. This movement is called the de-churching movement. And when you dig into it, people ultimately say, well, I love Jesus, I just don't love his church. Well, you probably shouldn't say to me, I love you, John, but I don't love your wife. It's important for us to understand the relationship between Jesus and the church and honor that. But they're saying this because somebody in the church offended them, somebody hurt them, somebody somehow misrepresented Christ to them. And as a result of that, they say, I can't forgive that. I won't look past that. I'm going to let that be a barrier between myself and the church of Jesus Christ. That's the era we seem to be living in. And I'm here to say today that forgiving love is the answer to that. Forgiving love is the answer to that in your life. Being able to forgive others, even though you may not understand what they did or why they did, did it, forgiving them, letting it go is what Christ did for you, and it's what we are to do for others and if we can't make it in an age that's reasonably friendly to us as Christians, how would we make it in an age where Christians are always maligned and persecuted? How can we possibly do well in an age like that? Forgiving love is a key to be able to, to serve others. Now, John Maxwell is um, a longtime author and in many ways a leader that many church leaders have looked to in some of his applications of leadership. And uh, the other day I watched him on a video and he said some incredible things that I want to pass on to you. John Maxwell, again, I quote, said, my father taught me to take the high road. And the high road is basically that you don't treat people as they've treated you. You treat them better than they've treated you. He used to say, travel light, son, travel light. He said, look beyond people's dysfunction and give them the benefit of the doubt and the second chance and don't carry baggage. If you carry a grudge against someone and they've done something wrong to you, just understand that while you're nursing their, your hurt feelings, they're out dancing. It doesn't bother them at all. Don't let them control your life. Don't let them control your emotions or your decisions. Travel light, son. Travel light. That's good advice. How do you travel light? You have forgiving love. You forgive people. I don't know what you may be carrying today. I don't know what might be in your baggage I don't know what someone has said to you or what's happened to you at some point in your life. I don't even know if you are carrying any baggage, but my encouragement to you is don't carry the baggage in the same way that Jesus forgave you, forgive them, whoever it is. However hard it is, take the high road that Jesus charted for us, forgiving more than seven times, more than seven times, 70 times, forgiving like Christ forgave us. But if you learn to pray wisely in a focused way, if you learn to have forgiving love, you're ready to serve. You're ready to serve. And that's why Peter finally comes to this idea of serving, and I call this faithful serving. It's interesting. He has us clean up our prayer life. He has us taking care of our love life before we're ready to serve. And I think part of that is because serving is not just doing. Serving is who we are as we do what we do. Serving with the right heart. Serving with the right mindset. So here's what it says in verse 10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another 
as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Notice that Peter doesn't say if. He's not saying if you serve. Uh, Notice he's not recruiting. He's not saying please serve. He's saying employ your gift. Put it to work. In the original language, it's in the tenses that we call present tense, active voice, and it is plural. Basically, it means that you are to be doing this in the sense of serving and employing your gift on an ongoing basis. It means you are the active one in this. Nobody puts you to work, and you don't wait for anybody to put you to work. You actively do that. And the plural sense is all of you, or y'all, or you all. In the Greek, he pronounced this, you all. Don't look it up. It doesn't really say that. But I thought you would understand it better. And so if I were to word this in the way that this language dictates, it would be, I want you all to be pursuing the calling to serve one another. I want every one of you that have been born again, that have the gift of the Holy Spirit inside of them, that have been gifted with spiritual gifts, and that's all of us, to be pursuing the calling of serving one another. I want you to have your prayer life right. I want you to have your your heart right. I want you to forgive other people, but I want you to put that gift to work because I've called you to it. Now, the Scripture lists seven motivational gifts and multiple manifestations of the Spirit. It's not my purpose to go through those, those multiple combinations. There's probably 35 different combinations of spiritual gifts and manifestations that, that we could list today. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. You can go and look at all those things, and we've, we've done that before. But Peter doesn't name all those things. In fact, Peter boils it all down to two different things. And I think what he's doing is the focus is not on which spiritual gift you have, but the focus on how you use your spiritual gift, whatever it is. And so he gives us two phrases here, whoever speaks and whoever serves. And he says, each one of you fall into at least one of those two categories. Whoever speaks and whoever serves. So notice verse 11. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. The word literally means, the word speak means talk of any kind. It's not necessarily preaching or teaching, although it can include that, but it's talk of any kind. And his heart is, in this passage, anytime a follower of Christ indwelt by the Holy Spirit speaks, he or she is to speak with the utterances of God, reflecting the truth of God and what they say. You say, well, what else would they reflect? Well, they would reflect their own opinions or their subjective perspective on things instead of the things that God has shown us is truth. I sometimes have people come to me and they say, Pastor, I know the Bible says this, but, and they go on into something diametrically opposite to what the Bible says. Or I know you believe this, or I know I've been told this in the Bible, but I believe this, something again on the other direction. I'm usually like, really? You're going to start with the word but, and you're going to say all the things that you want to say now that are opposite God's word? What Peter is saying is there are no but in the Christian life, when it comes to serving God with your mouth, you speak the utterances of God and not anything else. Your opinion and your perspective is not what serves others best. God's perspective, God's opinion is what serves others best. We're to speak the truth in love. We have the heart of love, the forgiving heart, but we're also to speak, as it were, the utterances of God. So it makes me say this. Before I open my mouth, is what I'm going to say going to reflect the utterance of God 
or the utterance of me. And if it's the utterance of me, I back off until I can know the utterance of God. Because my opinion doesn't serve God well, but his word does. So whoever speaks, and speaking can be one of manifold kinds of things, teaching, encouragement, counseling, leading, singing, praying, welcoming, conversing. Whenever you open your mouth, be sure you speak the utterances of God. And in the context of being persecuted somewhat, Peter is saying, in a hurting, painful, enemy-filled world where believers may be being persecuted and ridiculed, Make sure your speech reflects God's truth instead of your pain or your frustration or your fear or your panic or anything else that you're going through. Speak the utterances of God. Now that you know what that says, unleash those words. Say it. Say the goodness of God to people. Speak the mercy of God to people. Speak the gospel of Jesus Christ to people. Speak the truth, the right and wrong of the word of God to people, but do it in a loving way, in a prayerful way, in a way that adequately represents Jesus Christ, but let loose your word. Give the utterances of God to people who only hear the diametrical opposite in this culture. Speak the utterances of God. Recently, uh, this past week, um, my wife's mother passed away into eternity. Her name was Dixie. She lived with us for the last six years of her life. And uh, she's with Jesus today, and we're really excited about the fact that she's with Jesus today. She served for 40 years in her church in Irving, Texas, as the four-year-old Bible teacher for 40 years. Can you imagine teaching children for 40 years who are four years old. I mean, as parents, we get to go through that stage, right, and get out on the other side. She was perpetually in the four-year-old stage, 40 years. Can you imagine the number of people that she steered towards Christ, speaking the utterances of God? Whoever speaks, speak the utterances of God. After that, she spent about 10 years being a greeter at the door, welcoming people that came in with a smile and pointing them to the places that they need to go. Her mission was, when I open my mouth, I want to say things that, that attract people and draw people to Christ. That's a great mission, isn't it? And when you look back on life and you have had that kind of mission where whatever gifts you're given, if you're speaking, you're speaking the utterances of God, what an incredible reward awaits you someday. And how many amazing lives have been changed as a result of that? MCWC, 40 Almost 50,000 women have heard the gospel. Almost 40,000 babies have been born as a result of the counsel or the utterances of God given to them in those counseling rooms. Can you imagine that many people? This is a 3,000-seat auditorium. It was filled up 13 times. That's how many people those babies that are born represent. That's a whole city. That's a whole town. Can you imagine how many people's lives have been impacted by those who are serving God by speaking the utterances of God? In a world filled with anger, in a world filled with sarcasm, how important is it for us today to have that amazing word from God that he gifts us with as we serve with our speaking? And then finally, whoever serves is to do so as the one who is serving by the strength God supplies. Some gifts are speaking gifts. Some gifts are serving gifts. Let others see Jesus in you the way you pray, relate to them, serve them, help them in any way. 
You may not know this, but there are 700 volunteers at Cross City Church every Sunday morning, whether they're teaching or if they're at a door or they have opened the building, set up chairs, uh, whatever it might be. At our satellite, our North Campus, for two hours before the service, they're setting up chairs. For an hour after the service, they're tearing them down. They're serving with their hands with the strength that God supplies so that the gospel can go out to people's lives. We partner with kids' beach clubs and after-school Bible programs. It takes strength to do that. We work with six stones and, and, and rebuilding homes and, and providing food for people. It takes strength to do that. You look at your neighbor across the street that needs your energy to help them with something they can't do. You're serving the way God wants you to serve. Peter said, as you serve, do it the way God is calling you to do it with the strength that God supplies for you. Look around you. Find a way, you find a way to put the words that you know are God's words and the strength that you know is God's strength to work in serving others for the cause of Christ. If you'll ask him, he will show you your God-given opportunities. What's my part? It's one of the greatest questions that we could ask. What's my part in this? What's my part in impacting someone else's life? And here's what I'm going to tell you. If you do that, you'll find your niche, your place, your role in speaking or serving in some way, and you'll fulfill one of life's most important purposes for you. And one day when you die, there's this obscure verse in the Scripture that we all quote when we think about death. We'll stand before him, and we hope to hear, you know what it is, don't you? Well done, good and faithful servant. We just need to say that together. Are you ready? Well done, good and faithful servant. I want to hear that one day. I know I'm going to heaven when I die because of the gospel of Jesus, but I want to also hear well done, good and faithful servant. I want to serve him well in the amount of time that I have on this planet. And so do you. In just a moment, we're going to have a prayer. And I'll close our services with that prayer. I'm going to give you three invitations today that are very important. First of all, I invite you to stop by Decision Station today and talk to someone about your relationship with God through Christ. We talked about the gospel today, about the fact that the gospel is all about Jesus dying for our sins, paying for our sins. His blood, his love covers our sin. It's the only thing that will. It's the only thing that will make us right with God. And if you've never made that decision to allow Christ to do that for you, let us explain that to you and help you in that decision. Decision stations are manned by our counselors that will be there. Secondly, I want to invite you to our guest reception right outside the center exit doors and across the hallway. It's a glassed-in room. I'll be there to answer any questions you have about our church. Love to visit with you further about Cross City Church. Thirdly, I want to invite you uh, to come back next week and uh, bring someone with you. Bring someone who needs to hear the Word of God, who needs to be around people like you who will feel the love of Christ and sense the movement of the Spirit in this place. Bring them back with you. And as you leave today, stop by MCWC and the booth that they've set up in our commons area. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Father, I am so grateful for every person in this room today. Thank you that you stirred them today, that you moved them to be here today. But they took the time to get dressed to come to, work, to worship today and to open their Bibles and their minds to what you would say to them. And Lord, I know in every mind of this room, there has to be the question, 
Am I serving God well? Am I serving him well? Lord, help them answer that question. Show them what their part is. Whether inside the walls of a church or outside the walls of a church, serving you is priority. Help them see the meaning and the purpose for serving you well. For those that have questions about their spiritual life, help us to bring answers today. You, Holy Spirit, show them their next step. Thank you so much. As we leave today, we leave serving you for your glory, for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful Lord's Day.